1: Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
0: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging hello friends we only have three more episodes of australian true crime for 2019 can you believe it unless of course you are a patron in which case you'll still get a brand new episode every week over the christmas break i'm also in the process of setting up a discord account you may have read about discord in terms of adults stalking children that's where i read about it but it turns out you can do other things with it as well The good news is that my son Louis is actually setting up my Discord account. Of course, the troubling news is that Louis knows how to set up Discord accounts. It's these dumb games they play. You just gotta be on it. You gotta know what they're doing all the time and have sneaky looks at their phones when they're in the bath please do not tell Louis i said that anyway we're going to have a community on discord for creative people who want help with their own podcasts and writing and stuff it's going to be called the australian true crime creative community so keep an eye out for that and when i told Louis it was going to be called the australian true crime creative community he snorted and rolled his eyes which i guess means he loves it and thinks it's super cool okay on with the show The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children.
3: It occurs to me that the exact same qualities that a coach would be looking for in an elite sports star, the qualities of of recklessness, bravado, a desire to excel, risk-taking, ability to control fear, they're, they're strikingly similar to the kinds of qualities or the kinds of attributes that you'd see in a good bank robber.
0: Susanna Lobez and her writing partner, James Morton, have written some of Australia's best-selling true crime books about some of our most feared criminals. Books like Gangland Australia, Gangland Sydney, Gangland Melbourne and Gangland The Great Escapes. You may be sensing a theme here, but their latest book has some real surprises. Gangland This Unsporting Life features stories at the intersection of what are arguably
4: Australia's two great passions crime and sport. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims and what happens next.
0: We started the conversation by asking Susanna about Daniel King, who was shot dead by police outside Sydney's Penrith Police Station in October 2019 after he'd fired several shots into the building. It later emerged he'd also fired shots into the St Mary's police station earlier in the evening after firing on his pregnant former partner's home.
3: Very recently, in early October, this guy who had been a promising player for the Penrith Panthers Panthers some years ago, he he got injured in some uh, tackle or whatever. So he visited his uh, ex's home She's pregnant, she says, with his baby. He, he said not. He's got another woman pregnant somewhere else who apparently is texting with him constantly. And anyway, he's shooting at her house, the ex's house, and she looks very pregnant Ooh. in the pictures. And then he drove with a shotgun to the two police stations, St Mary's and Penrith, uh, and... um and started firing at the cops. And in fact, I think one of them got some shotgun blast in the top of his head. Yeah, not some in the back yeah. of his yeah. head. Yeah, but I mean, he he was a he was a promising rugby player 10 years ago then he got injured then he turned to bodybuilding and rugby league you know yeah that?
0: so I had no idea he had a sporting background at all this guy obviously I can see a bodybuilding yeah.
3: background
0: but a rugby league background yes
3: and apparently he got some support from an organization called the men of league uh-huh. which is I think a very needed organization because it helps people re back into the non-sport world after their career's come to an end or after they've faced an injury. But this was uh, sad and sick ban I would say. Most of us have careers. You come, you go, you find another little niche. Yeah. But a lot of these guys, they have nowhere to turn. And a lot of them, too many of them, go down the slippery slope to crime.
0: I guess very few of them get to go then into coaching and yeah. even fewer into
3: media. Some that do go into coaching and obviously most want to or, or commentating, This fellow, again early in October, got a job as a Brisbane Rugby League coach and he got caught for sending a series of sexy, lewd messages to one of his junior players. Um, This is a guy called called Miller. He pleaded guilty involving grooming a child back in 2018. So he's going to be jailed for a while. He disclosed to this guy he was gay and invited the boy to a hotel room. The same probably happens with with girls that some of these guys get involved with later on, but I think their sense of identity is so wrapped up in their in their ego and their hyper masculinity and their their showiness and their recklessness and their fearlessness that sometimes i mean after writing thirteen books about crime and criminals. Do you know, it, it occurs to me that the exact same qualities that a coach would be looking for in an elite sports star, the qualities of, of recklessness, bravado, a desire to excel, diligence in training, risk-taking, ability to control fear, they're, they're strikingly similar to the kinds of qualities or the kinds of attributes that you'd see in a good bank robber or a Good drug importer, you know, nerves of steel.
0: Oftentimes we hear about gangsters hanging out with sports people, don't we? Troubled sports stars, being friends with crime figures. I've heard a lot of stories about Carl Williams, for example, having mates who were sports stars and there seems to be a real... Uh, Love affair between the two occupations, if I could call them that. Yeah. Is
3: that fair to say? A mutual fascination. It's almost like the lure of the siren song of sport and crime. I I reckon the Australian Crime Commission got it right in 2013 when it said it was concerned about um, increasing associations between professional athletes and organised criminal identities because, of course, as sports gambling has become so important in the last few decades, it can corrupt the athlete and also gives a form of social status to the criminal. Yeah. So I mean one of the one of the great stories from two thousand and seven was poor old Alan Dydak, who mm-hmm. I'm certainly not saying was a criminal. He he was a respectable sport player. Former Collingwood great. He probably didn't even know. Um, Michelle, that he was drinking away in the Spearmint Rhino nightclub in 2007 with this new mate that was buying him drinks and then offered him a, a lift home in his gorgeous Mercedes. He Alan must have had misgivings when his new buddy drove the wrong way and was heading across the Baltic Bridge. He must have had a few more misgivings or pause for thought <laughs> when the driver, Chris, started shooting a handgun out of the driver's window as he was going across the Balti Bridge. And when they finally arrived at the Hells Angels Campbellfield Clubhouse, he must have seriously worried what he'd got himself into. He couldn't get a taxi or an Uber from the clubhouse. No,
0: who's coming? Hello, Hells Angels. <laughs> oh, no. Even for Alan Didac, who's a... A clean skin. He's got no history of any any drama, but you're right. They're hanging out in similar places in a city like Melbourne or Sydney. And
3: drinking away and inspired by the gorgeous, glamorous black Mercedes (laughs) and happy to get a lift and probably a bit shocked when the gun starts being fired. But, you know, um, he he was finally dropped back in the city by this Chris, who is also known to us all as Christopher Wayne Hudson. Mm -hmm who was um, a member of the Finks, then defected to the Hells Angels, which is never a good thing for your health. Well,
0: um, that's what I'm thinking. If I'm Alan Dydak, I'm suddenly thinking, I could get shot here.
4: Yeah.
3: Like,
0: like
4: anything could happen. Yeah. I don't well, the- think the AFL media people would be happy with And uh, I think
3: Collingwood did give him a bit of a strong serve and hoped he'd learn his lesson, and I'm sure he did because it was only, I mean, Hudson had been involved in that uh, kickboxing tournament stoush between the Finks and the Angels the year before where people were stabbed and thrashed. And then, of course, a few weeks after the DIDAC incident, Hudson was the one who... Was shooting at his girlfriend and shot oh, the innocent bystanders right. who came to help the her. The Dutch
4: backpacker oh, yes, and yes. yeah, Brendan Keeler, who was yes. the lovely that's man ridiculous. who tried to, and he got murdered. So, you know,
3: really, I think that, that the, the mutual flirtation between an, an attraction and, um, the lure of the dangerous life and the dark side. Uh, I, I think that, that many of these sportsmen, and it is generally sportsmen uh, uh, find that very alluring. John Elias, who wrote the book called Sin Bin back in twenty ten, he had grown up as a kind of a, a juvenile delinquent in a place called Punch Bowl. And he talks about this really openly in his book. He, he was robbing supermarkets with this bulldogs gang in in Punch Bowl, and uh, stealing cars, and he was jailed. I think on um bail in Long Bay on a charge of uh, attempted murder, which he was later acquitted of, let's be clear. But in jail, he he was he got a brilliant university education in crime from the likes of Nettie Smith, Danny Karam, who was the DK's boys gang gangster. And he he became the muscle for hire for all kinds of crime figures and was involved in some very hairy standovers and debt collection. I don't know how he managed the rugby league career as as well as the crime career, but um he, he was in the NRL and overseas and he tells tales about. Firearms involvement, violent standovers, and debt collection, um, receiving stolen goods, and um, all the the scams and betting fixes in in harness raising, You know, trotting at, at Harold Park. And I mean, his his books actually a really good read. But he turned over a new leaf, and you know, said I'm crime free. And you know, he had had some illness issues, and and apparently was completely reformed. But he did shoot a betting partner over a bit of a. Kind of mysterious debt in two thousand and three, served four and a half years, and then he wrote his book in two thousand and ten. But by two thousand and fourteen, he was pleading guilty to intimidation with menaces of a of a company director down in Melbourne. So, you know, he, he's. I think he's made efforts to reform, but the siren's call of of crime and the underworld and using his muscle. When he was a youngster, still a teenager, he and he's in Long Bay with with Nettie Smith and Danny Karam, who's like a serious, serious gangster. He's getting, you know, brainwashed into this is a great way of life, and it's like the the guys. Um, you had the fellow on, was it Mahmud? Uh, yeah. Father. Um, I, I heard the podcast, and 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 he's been quoted as saying, you know, some of these Lebanese gangs or the Afghani gangs, you know, brothers for life, and they get seduced by the Shiny fast cars and the rolex watches and the and the seemingly endless supply of women and and when you talk about the 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 ones who are led astray. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember the case of Jimmy Cracker, who was the father yeah. of a, a camp player, but he was a... Um, he was
4: like a North Melbourne legend. Yeah, wasn't he was, yeah. yeah, and also played for St yeah. Gilda with the yeah. AFL at
3: one stage. Um, But he he really did fall under the spell, uh, the speed-dealing biker John William Higgs. Apparently, Cracker, he invested money in this so-called rock, Concert scam, which was a rock concert that never happened. And, and Krakow had probably, you know, given his last dollar to Higgs. And, um, and then. And I think it was the way that Higgs was laundering cash because, you know, he was dealing speed. He was one of Australia's biggest speed dealers. And to to offer Jimmy a way to recover some of the money, he said, oh, no problem, no problem, Jimmy. Listen, we'll get you to just help with this shipment across the Nullarbor in, I don't know, Toyota Corolla or something. And, I mean, even the cops who were prosecuting him said he was really like a bloody glorified delivery boy, he he wasn't really the brains behind the operation at all. But he was caught, red-handed, unloading 5.3 kilos of speed in a Perth garage uh, with another bloke. He copped 16 years for that and bloody Higgs only got four back in Melbourne for being the organiser of the whole thing. And this just goes to, unfortunately, that cliché of
4: sportsmen being really dumb as well
0: doesn't it? Well, this it sort of
4: easily led, maybe, you know? Yeah. I think he's still, like, when you think about footy players, AFL players who've really had that fall from grace, Jimmy Cracker's still one of the ones you think of. Like, you know, you think of Ben Cousins. Yeah. It's bloody tragic. But there was someone in the news recently, wasn't there? Susanna, of AFL player who... A West Coast Eagles premiership star, former,
3: Daniel Chick, who uh, he was fined early in October, 900 $900 after the police found ice in his car and a glass pipe and this wasn't his first offense apparently it's the second time it's happened this year and um you know he was he was playing premierships and yeah it's an and, amazing and, player and now he's got all these drug offenses and he's using ice I mean for god's sake if they if they worship the muscle if they worship the body which as we can tell a lot of these sports guys do then to do such ravaging harm to your body as ice can do, you just find it unbelievable.
0: Well, I don't know. Having never used ice, I can't – I don't understand how those two things go together and yet – if we look at the West
3: Coast eagles, there was certainly mm. a period of time yeah.
0: when yeah. they were drug adults. They did go together. Mm, yeah. yep.
3: Back in the 1920s, I think it was in 1878, that some botanist or doctor in England discovered that coca leaves oh, yes, could yes. help relieve anxiety <laughs> or stress or a, or a <laughs> at tiredness. It, at or, first, yeah. it creates
0: quite a bit of anxiety. And, and,
3: and then they they gave them to their, to their runners and their yeah. cyclists. And, I mean, the, in 1920s, you know, Cocaine was regularly given I to guess, runners. I guess those kinds of drugs would
0: allow you to train longer and then go home and clean
3: the house and yes. do all
0: sorts of things. It's so Go bad. dancing. Yeah. Mm. Ben Cousins, have you been able to look into... Ben's situation or is it just too sort of ongoing? It's
3: ongoing yeah. and I do, I mean, you know, he's mentioned, of course, in the book. I, I, I mean, some of them I really feel sorry for.
4: And there's Chris Mainwaring as well. He died in 2007. I see yeah. Chris Mainwaring was such a great player, good looking. Yeah. They had the world at their feet and he died from too much cocaine, like a seizure brought on by too much cocaine. And being cousins and been with him the weekend, so there was those guys who were I don't know invincible and just rock stars in Western Australia. And I always think so, so sad. I always think of Chris Mainwaring as being one of the tragedies of AFL.
3: And Ryan R- oh, Tandy, he, he was, was um, Bulldogs well, uh, rugby. He, a poor fella. He overdosed in 2014, yeah. um, but he he really fell victim to the temptation of sports betting. You know, we know it's all over sport, yeah. and I mean, when you've got, for instance, in racing, you've got on. Offer about four hundred and twenty-seven million dollars in prize money a year, but a twenty billion-dollar sports gambling industry—you know—you you, you you have to feel that. The
0: temptation must be overwhelming. Anyone who listens to Andrew Rule's podcast as religiously as we do will have learned so much about it because he quite often, he loves it. The horse racing Mm. and he quite often does some specials and he did some recently with a jockey mate of his and I was astounded at the level of it, how easy it is. It seems ubiquitous, jockeys working with crime syndicates. Yes, exactly. And that has been like that
3: for a so, hundred years, so it seems. You know, I mean, there's been in in the racing world, and there's a lot of chapters in our book about various aspects of racing, all different ways of cheating and nobbling and, and doping. Yeah, you know, and they used to use these electric kind the of pod jiggers. Yeah, jiggers. I learned yeah. what they were.
0: There was that recent scandal where a trainer yeah, was Dan accused. Ware was it? Yeah, yeah,
3: accused of using them. Everybody knows about the 1980s fine cotton affair where the colour of the horse's <laughs> leg changed, and but that isn't the first time. I mean, in the in the trots, a hundred years. Ago, there'd be a horse and then there'd be a deluge, and the ink would start running off the horse they and the completely different color.
0: Horses, uh, yeah, with they, paint, and yeah. then the, in fine cotton, they went to the chemist and bought henna hair dye, women's hair dye, and put it all on the horse. And then it rained and it was like dripping <laughs> off and everything. It's, it's so ridiculous. ridiculous. I know, <laughs> I think, as, well,
3: couldn't they have had a girlfriend that said, Look, this kind of dye isn't permanent, maybe right? you should get, you know, don't use this cheap dye, let's it's use so something stupid. permanent. Back in the 70s, there was a um. A guy called Victor Rick Renzella. He was a car salesman, a gambler, a race fixer. And at the Casterton races in 1972, he he first of all ran his horse around to reduce its condition, you know, to run it down and alter its handicap. And then he switched the horse Regal Vista for Royal School. And the jockey was heard to say he was going to make four grand from the race. And the switch, and Renzella was jailed. Um, and his, his barrister believed that Renzella's downfall came because he couldn't bear to have Regal Vista shot because that was often the fate of running horses. Well, oh,
0: thank God, oh. he's got something going for him, this fellow. That he didn't yeah, want his
3: horse shot at least. And, and um, I think he gave the horse the, the good horse to his barrister Philip Opas, and he lived for a fine old age. But there was a there was another case which wasn't exactly a rigging. It was a weird case of the non-existent horse. Um, And there was a very old lady owner, horse owner, who had a mare called Jag One, and she had the horse with a successful trainer, Michael Day, who she paid thousands of dollars to for the stabling and training. He advised her to put the mare in fold. So she paid over three thousand dollars, another three thousand dollars for the artificial insemination. God knows it that. It didn't cost that much with my IVF.
4: <laughs> um, I think it's pretty a, pricey getting your yet. horses inseminated. Yeah.
3: And and now the um uh, she was told there had been a foal born. She was so excited. She she went down to see this little foal called Miriam and visited the the, the foal in Goulburn and noticed it had some small white spots high on its nose and, and black hooves with white markings. So over the next few years, she was paying, you know, thousands of dollars in fees and stabling and training and went back Another time to see the horse and was shown what I can only say is a horse of a different colour but than what she'd seen originally. But um, she was fobbed off and, you know, told, oh, yes, the horse is still training. And then she would say, well, why isn't the horse racing? I want to see Miriam race. And Day was telling her, oh, the horse has been ill or the horse has had injuries or whatever. And um, finally in 2015, about six years later, the lady lost faith, and uh, she took her doubts to the police. Day wasn't exactly a clean skin, and he pleaded guilty to fraud. His barrister said, "Oh, look, he just didn't have the heart to tell the old lady that there was no such Miriam." Oh, and oh, he, he was—he was very. He
0: had the heart to take her feet. Yes, yes,
3: very lucky not to go to jail. He he slid under the wire with an intensive corrections order, but. You know, the horse never existed. And you know,
4: Susanna, when we were talking about how you know sport is still male-dominated, but there have been a few women in sport who have fallen foul of no, the not Believe it. And there have Donna yeah, Marie no. Parsons, yes,
3: Donna Marie. Well, she was a wrestler
4: or a fighter. <laughs> she was like the, she fought under the name the Welsh Dragon. Yeah, she she was which is um, I, I think she fought in 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 UK
3: and in Europe. And, again, I don't quite know what kind of fighting, but um, she became heavyweight champion of Australia by defeating the only other person <laughs> in the
4: country that
3: actually <laughs> fit, fitted into that class. She married a very a very nice dog-breeding, mild-mannered English bloke, and then she set up a company called uh, Melbourne Wrestling Promotions. Now, she took out a big insurance policy on her first promotion and... Then went one step further and hired two hitmen to kill her husband Paul. Oh. She she got sentenced to um, an 18 year minimum, and uh, in jail fell in love with another husband killer, and uh, who knows whether they're living happily ever after in jail or out. So
0: she did actually take the hit. Happened yes.
3: Yes, oh, the, oh my the god, the, the, the mile mannered guy. And I don't. I think she thought maybe the insurance would set her up for life. You know, her life after wrestling, which of course they all have to think about. I mean, one of the interesting and curious story about women crims in our book is Madame Isabel Newton, who, who ran uh, as a as a sprinter under the name Madame Isabel. She claimed to be Australia's female running champion and called for contenders, and she. In those days, this is in the early 1900s. You know, a, a lot of people went into to running because the prize money, the bags were were big, and also there was ways of you know nobbling other people, and and um, some poor guys at the store gift you know had their knees kicked out from under them, and you know it was before the finals. But she she lost this race in an event. But um, and I was thinking about it the other night that really she did become one of Australia's very rare female serial killers because she became a baby farmer in inverted commas. This is in nineteen oh eight oh nine, where poor women who were pregnant, you know, they couldn't get abortions, there was no contraception, they were dumped by their blokes, and they would farm their babies out to some woman who had her own kids to care for them for 10 quid a week or a month or
4: whatever. With the intention that they'd come back and, you know, you get when those they children on their yeah, yeah. later
3: on. Yeah, so and sometimes the Baby farmer ladies would claim that they would look for adoptive parents and this was the case with Madam Isabel.
0: So in the meantime, you're paying still? Yes. You're paying this lady? Yes.
3: Right. And she was taken to court uh, in relation to one little baby called Winifred, which seemed to have disappeared. She said she handed over to- to a, an adoptive mother in East Melbourne, but, you know, that wasn't proven. Then the police came to her house to arrest her and she said, I'd like to get changed before I get arrested and taken away. She went into a room and took strychnine, oh. leaving a note for her children and husband. And, and I've actually seen them at the Victorian archives, her hand scrawled notes saying, you know, my husband and children had nothing to do with it. My husband thought I was getting 10 quid a week for the babies. And, and anyway, she died obviously before any child could take place, but they did find the bodies of at least three babies around Karen Beach or near Mordialic mm. and under the hen house at her place. And, So, you know, that's a ghastly story. So women athletes aren't immune from the occasional lurch towards crime.
0: Yeah, I don't think gangsters are going looking for the firebirds the netball team no know. or the opals, or the, opals. Or the opals yes for some reason women's sport just doesn't have the allure that men's sport does does it there's something about
4: big male sportsmen and and gangsters that has that that attracts each other it's like crime and sport have that element of drama i know i really find that a lot of podcasts about sports have that real element of all the human drama that crime has it's like you know when they talk about the thin blue line with police my husband was in the police for years and he said one of the best coppers he ever knew was this guy who'd grown up in the East End mm. and he knocked about with all the guys who probably he would have been arresting or like so he could have gone either way. He could have been a crim or a cop and he said he was the best copper he'd ever seen mm. on the street. Well I don't wanna I
3: don't wanna drum the point home too much but you know, one of the things that you see is is sport is still, we have to say, ladies, don't we, that it's dominated by men. I know we're seeing some real yes. heroic activities by the likes of the young athletes in women's football. Yeah, yeah. But absolutely. When it comes to the money side of things yeah. and all of
0: those aspects, it's definitely it's dominated by men, men still. Yeah.
3: and And, you know, the statistics are from the Bureau of Crime Research and Statistics is that... Crime is also dominated by men. 97% of, of um, homicides and physical attacks and even more than 50% of shoplifting is done by men and that surprised me, having oh. been a junior barrister all those years ago. Yeah. But, you know, crime is not an equal opportunity endeavour.
0: After the break, Susanna turns her attention to boxing and mixed
1: martial arts.
0: possibly the worst-named yacht in criminal history. But first, Emily started reading Susanna Lobez and James Morton's new book, Gangland, This Unsporting Life, before I did. And one night, she texted me one name. It brought memories flooding back to me of a boxing family from country New South Wales. Their tyrannical father had brought them to Australia after the child welfare unit in their native England had begun investigating him for his cruelty. It must have confirmed for his three sons, his daughter and their stepmother that he was untouchable, above the law, and that there was no use in complaining or trying to fight him. That man's name was Sess Waters.
3: Yeah, well, this was back in the eighties. Sess Waters had four children, three sons. Um, and they went on to, the sons went on to be champion Australian boxers. Uh, Troy won the Commonwealth, um, titles and really could have gone on to be world champion with the right management, which he didn't have. Guy also did well. And Dean was Australian heavyweight champion back in the, in the eighties. Sess was always in control. I mean, seriously, sadistically in control. I mean, he used to beat all the kids, the daughter included, with a rubber hose often. He's he was
0: this th- tiny little man, wasn't he? I, I can still picture him. And they, they had a farm. Did they have a farm? I yeah, out remote. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And, and um, Shuffling around in his farm. He looked like a sort of grubby little fellow with a cap on. And
3: yeah, scary. grubby little vicious Bruce and a child abuser. Now, I don't know the fate of the first wife, but there was a second wife, uh, the stepmother to the kids, and she left him, hard to believe why. Um, Cess was furious and started uh, pressuring Dean, one of the sons, into killing his stepmother and the stepmother's new bloke, a guy called Alan Hall. Dean resisted, obviously, didn't want to kill his stepmother, but was constantly badgered by Cess and... Eventually, after some time, he he enlisted a friend, Damon Cooper, and although he couldn't bring himself to kill his stepmother, in June 1988, Dean and Cooper got together and shot Alan Hall dead. Now, everything goes quiet from then on in. There was, I don't know what the kind of investigation there was or prosecution of anyone, but in the late 90s, so nearly 10 years later, Dean could obviously no longer live with himself, with his conscience, and gave himself up, dobbing in both his dad and his mate, Cooper. All three were prosecuted in separate trials, um, but the jury heard from psychiatrists that Dean's will had been, as the law says, overborne by his father's. He was so dominated by this man that the jury acquitted him uh, in 20 minutes just because he'd been so, he had no will of his own anymore. Um, Cooper got 12 years minimum for manslaughter and Cess, we're all waiting with bated breath to hear what happened to Cess, he died just before his trial was going to go on. So he there was no justice there really. Cess was the bad man of the picture.
4: Troy was one of the other brothers and he tragically died last year. He yeah. had leukemia and yeah. he, he seemed to sort of avoid a lot of the the publicity yeah. involved
3: yeah yeah no I mean you just don't know how, how family like that would ever get through life you know that so traumatized traumatized would they be. One of the recent trends, I mean, boxing and wrestling has always been up for the fix because, you know, people take a dive or they, yeah. you know, they have the fights fixed and, I mean, that was going on way back in history in yeah. Australia in, in Kalgoorlie and in Coolgardie, where they used to have those boxing matches where it was always fixed or they'd cut the lights out at a <laughs> certain time. or They used to use guys that were punch drunk, you know, yeah. like their brains were rattling in their head after being punched so often and they'd be pushed into the arena. Again, by the likes of John Wren or Roof Nailer or some of these fight fixers and stadium owners, mm. and and then eventually they said, oh well, you've got to have a um, a doctor, uh, you've got to have a head X ray uh, before you're allowed to go in the ring. So they have brought in precautions over the years. But I mean, the latest thing is mixed martial arts
4: and Ultimate it, Fight yes. Fighting Championship. That's quite incredible. I've watched some of that, and it's like. Part of me is like, this is awful, and then the other half is, these people are incredible athletes. It's been really controversial in Australia recently because state by state they've been
0: deciding whether, whether or whether not to, to do allow it, it yeah. and mm. support it. Is there a criminal element to...?
3: Well, I mean, it's still up and coming. Yeah. But it's, it's looking like it's going to be the next sort of multi-million dollar sport and it's, it's got its fair share of thugs and convicted crims. But there was one bloke who he didn't have a parallel career in crime and sport. He had the crime career first and then the sport career. This is a guy called Rodney Goldie Atkinson. And uh, he, he was named for his diamond and twenty-four carat gold teeth. Ooh, we had the grills. <laughs> uh, worked for the one of the Ibrahim brothers, not John, the the clean skin, but one of the other brothers, Fadi. And he also did a lot of underworld kind of heavy work for the likes of Bassam Hamzi, who I think we've talked about before, like we one have. of the most serious criminals in Australia. So this was
0: before the yeah. sporting
3: career. Yeah. So okay. he was, you know, doing the dirty work for these guys, and he was quoted as saying oh, it was absolute. Shit, you know, one bloke sits there getting rich and the rest of us are just trudging along as soldiers. He put on him, so he's a smart
4: guy. He's Whoa. a brothers for brothers, brothers for, for life. life.
3: But he, he ended up in for five years firearms. He he was very lucky not to get done for conspiracy to murder. In jail. He converted to Islam, which is happening a lot, um, as your mate Fazal says. Also evidently did a lot of muscle work in jail, probably got some tats, you know, we all see them. But on his release, uh, not not so long ago, um, he became an MMA UFC fighter, (laughs) won 13 fights, so obviously not too shabby. But he did have links with biker gangs and he also rejoined uh, the Brothers for Life group, which he'd sort of disavowed while he was in prison, and was arrested in 2017 and jailed again for drugs. Now, in jail, he hasn't hit glory on himself either. I mean, he did stomp on the head of the granny killer and then he assaulted another inmate and so he's, I think, you know, in a bit of a cycle of staying in jail and considered pretty damn dangerous. But again, you know, like did the crime first, then rehabilitate himself to become a, a martial artist and then unfortunately got tempted back into crime. Yeah, I see that Mahmood
4: Fazal, who we've spoken about and who, yeah, was a guest, he wrote for Vice about the resurrection of that gang, Brothers yes. for Life. Yes. So they must have gone
2: and be quiet for a
4: while on their back. The, the lure must be very strong, I think, oh. when you're, you know... But
0: unfortunately Goldie's not done anything for the sport, for the reputation of the sport, mm-hmm. so there'll be other blokes in the sport
4: going... Goldie. Yeah, what did you do that? You, you know? have to be super disciplined to be an MMA fighter.
3: Uh, but you know the training and the commitment is is I mean, I guess the hallmark of any serious professional yeah, that's athlete. That's true. And I mean there's there's been many sad cases back in the early 80s and even late 70s and this is when we footballers used to have day jobs. There was a guy called Fred Cook. In in Port Melbourne, and I mean I couldn't believe it when I read he kicked nearly thirteen hundred goals. But he he was once offered a thousand bucks to play below par, as it were. In other words, to drop a game. But after his after his footy career, again we're talking about the the tragic aftermath of a successful playing career he turned to drugs and to trafficking and to crime to support his drug habit and and look he copped a very understanding and sympathetic judge and and got a 4 year bond but you know later breached the bond and the judge the judge was so kind of kind and merciful he said you know this is a real example of a of a sporting hero
4: who's fallen on tragedy. So he was cut a bit of slack, you might say. He was a rock like a rock star of the VFL back in the day for Williamstown and he owned a pub that was frequented by the Petting Gills, I'm pretty sure. Like so they would drink there and it sort of, yeah, got all That's messy. Always gonna get messy. What do you know what happened to him? Still alive. Lives, you know, hard scrabble life. What would be your
3: favourite case from this book, do you think? Um, John Nicolich was a horse trainer with his wife Yvette, owned a number of horses, including a horse called, I think, Wonderful Jester who, you know, there was a few uh, disqualifications going on, a few dodgy doings at the diggings. um, And he had some form for performance-enhancing substances and special treatments for his horses And so he had, you know, a few disqualifications but nothing really to upset his glamorous and exciting lifestyle. In 2018, he and his wife Yvette took off on their catamaran which was called perhaps appropriately, shenanigans. <laughs> and uh, a they, great word. I know. They went off to enjoy that. I mean, it's almost self, self-inculpatory, self isn't it's it? It's so know?
0: cheeky. It is a great word, yeah. but it's very cheeky. And, again, if you're a colourful racing identity. Do you want to call your boat that? I'd call it nothing going on here. <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Look away. In it says bliss. Right just,
0: just on the boat with the missus.
3: So they were off, um, On you know, shenanigans. living the high life yeah. um, uh, in around South America, <laughs> across the Pacific. Yeah. Um, now in June, you might remember they dropped anchor in Nadi, uh, in Fiji. Yes, and they got a bit of a surprise visit from the Fiji customs officers. And uh, John apparently, in the moment, uh, swallowed a cocktail of liquid cocaine and speed, Ugh. which resulted in him. Being rushed to uh, intensive care hospital at the hospital, while customs searched, they found uh, 13 bricks of coke and uh, methamphetamines. I mean, there was like 20 million dollars worth of drugs found. The shenanigans, plus guns, plus plus. ammo, and uh, while John John was rushed off for his overdose, um, the the pair were in court earlier this year. And rather surprisingly, Yvette was acquitted of everything. The judge found there was only circumstantial evidence. And she was saying how she was missing her children who were, you know, far away from her in Queensland. And anyway, poor old John, who had swallowed... Some of the evidence ultimately copped all the blame and and was sentenced to sixteen years. Now there was some talk about an appeal against vet's release, but uh, I haven't heard anything further after that. Oh my God, uh, so you know, like. What not to do when you're, as you say, colourful identity? How not to bring attention to yourself?
0: Yeah, I wonder why he swallowed that stuff. Like, what is the point of swallowing? Well, getting rid of evidence? Yeah, no. but th- he couldn't swallow all those blocks no. of meth. No, why? Oh my God. Why would you yeah. Well, and I've
3: never even heard of liquid cocaine, to be frank.
0: I don't think I have either. I was just thinking of we just did the. Diane Brimble story but that was liquid ecstasy yeah no I mean it's yeah extraordinary shenanigans and for her to get away with
3: yeah released completely you know I mean she was just on the right side of the judge that day
4: yeah I saw something in March reported by AAP that Fiji prosecutors were going to appeal the acquittal Mm, I haven't Um, I haven't seen any updates since then
3: and, you know, I mean, that's the matter for them, obviously, you know. Your wife was a registered owner of
0: the
4: vessel. She was yeah. with you on board.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, but he's, um, John claimed sole responsibility. Yes.
4: Okay. <laughs> Isn't there something when you're a husband and wife with, uh, mm. in court, you're a barrister, yeah. oh, well, Susanna. You know, I mean, it, you know, it, would, it would be
3: it would be very convenient yeah. uh, for one person to take all the blame, yeah. you know, the noble, the noble cause. Um, Especially kids like but I... I still think that there would be an arguable case for an appeal in that situation. But, you know, it's at the discretion of the prosecution.
4: Because apparently the Fijian authorities are going to sell that yacht because it's a proceed of crime. Yeah. So shenanigans, yeah. the Fiji Revenue and Customs Service can probably sell it. Because I guess, yeah, anything, houses, yeah. boats, cars. Yeah, I wonder what they'll get.
3: I mean, Victor Pierce, we've spoken about him before, and he used to apparently tell his wife, he told his wife, we have her her hearsay, that, that he used to get an erection when he ran into a bank to do a robbery. You know, so it's like a a thrill. It's a thrill. <laughs> Bet you're glad I
0: shared that. So I'll get the visuals, so I'm getting right now. But actually, what I'm thinking about is the sports people who say the same thing. Mm. I've heard sports people saying the same thing. Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh. famously in the documentary, uh, I think Mr. Universe, he's very young and he's talking about when I'm lifting, I'm calming. It's like I'm calming. It's a <laughs> oh so famous because so <laughs> so uh, his accent's so calming because Which is also thick.
4: calming. Yeah.
0: That's Susanna Lobez, who with her writing partner, James Morton, has released a new book called Gangland, This Unsporting Life. It's available now from the bookshop on our website, AustralianTrueCrimePodcast.com. Thank you for downloading this episode. We'll be back next week.